0: there's only two choices the Holy Spirit works directly upon the heart or he works indirectly by the Word of God now like I just said in our last study we covered the Holy Spirit in conversion this evening we want to talk about the Holy Spirit in the Christian after conversion and the question is this does the Spirit change his method or mode of operation or does he continue to operate indirectly Through the word of God. Before we go any further, what you're probably thinking is, who cares? Why does this even matter? Why are we even going to study this? This is just so abstract. Why do we need to talk about this? Well, we need to talk about this because it's very likely you've come across people, and I've come across people, that they tell you, well, the Holy Spirit, He talks to me, He tells me what to do. He reveals things to me. And he gives me this feeling. And he guides my life. Even if what he says goes against what the Bible says. That's what a lot of our friends believe. Whether they're Catholic, they're Presbyterian, they're Baptists. This is a very popular idea in the religious world. And the reason why this is important for us to talk about is because we need to know if this is true. We need to know if we're wrong or what the Bible says. And if these people are right, then we're doing something wrong. There's got to be a reason why I don't feel the Holy Spirit like they claim to do. There's got to be a reason why you don't feel the Holy Spirit like they claim to do. Is it because we're not Christians? Is it because we're not saved? What we're talking about is more practical than what we might think. So for just a little while, we want to discuss this. How does the Holy Spirit work in the life of a Christian? Now, I have four views on the board for the Christian and the Holy Spirit. The names of these views don't much matter. What matters is the ideas that are presented in each. So we see there is a spectrum in the religious world, and there is what we would call the left, and there is what we would call the right. Now, the left and the right, they couldn't be more opposite or more extreme. View number one teaches that the Holy Spirit literally and personally indwells the Christian. He's literally inside you. Number two, they believe that people today are able to perform miracles. They also believe that the Holy Spirit works through the Word of God and outside the Word of God. That's view number one. View number two This view believes the Holy Spirit literally and personally indwells you, but they don't believe in miracles today. Miracles are not possible to be performed, but they also believe the Spirit works through the Word of God and outside the Word of God, directly and indirectly on your heart. Then we get to view number three. The Holy Spirit literally and personally indwells you, but there are no miracles and The Holy Spirit only works through the Word of God. There's another difference. And lastly, view number four is this. The Holy Spirit does not literally and personally indwell you. The Spirit dwells within the Christian through the Word of God. So the Spirit dwells not literally, but representatively. Representatively. And they believe that there is no miracles, and that the Spirit works only through the written Word of God. I have it color-coded to help us see the similarities and differences in each of the views. So our whole goal this evening is just to go through a process of elimination, and to see what the Scriptures say about each of these views. And we're going to start with view number one. Now, in order to disprove view number one, all you got to do is talk about miracles. The Bible teaches that Jesus had the power to perform miracles. He healed the blind, he healed the deaf, he cast out demons, he raised the dead. He did all that good stuff. Now Jesus gave this power to the apostles, and the apostles in the first century, they did the same things Jesus did. Now it's very interesting that when we talk about apostles, they have specific qualifications. And we learn of them in Acts chapter 1, verses 21 through 25. We're not going to go there and read it. But we've got three bullet points to show what you had to do to be an apostle. Number one, you had to be with Jesus from his baptism until he ascended back into heaven. No one here has done that. Number two, you had to be a witness of the resurrection. No one here has done that. Number three... You had to be chosen by the Lord. No one here has done that. No one on this earth today has fulfilled any of these qualifications. So, there are no modern day apostles. Why is that important? The reason why that's important is because in Acts chapter 8, we learn that spiritual gifts, the power to perform miracles, were only been able to be done or given by the apostles. In Acts chapter 8, we learn there's a man named Simon. Simon is a sorcerer, and he would trick people. He would make them think or lead them to believe that he had power to do miracles. They thought he was a big deal. And they thought that he came from God, but then one day, a preacher came. This preacher was named Philip. Philip the evangelist. Philip comes to town. He does some miracles. Simon the sorcerer. He sees the miracles, and he thinks, what I do is fake. What this guy is doing is real. This is legit. Something's different. This guy's got to be from God. So Simon the sorcerer, he hears the preaching of the gospel, and he's baptized. He becomes a Christian. Well, later on in this story, we learn that Peter and John, two apostles, they go to Samaria where all this happened. And the reason why they went to Samaria is because the Holy Spirit had not fallen upon these men. And so these apostles, they go to lay their hands on these people so that they can have miraculous power. Now, why couldn't Philip the preacher do that? He could do miracles, but he couldn't pass on this power because he wasn't an apostle. Only apostles could pass on spiritual gifts. That's everything that this board talks about, all these points. Only the apostles could pass on this power. And those who received this power, they cannot share it either. That's why Philip couldn't share it with the rest of the people. Here's what we learn. If the apostles are the only ones who can pass on this power, Acts chapter 8, and there is no one today who meet the qualifications of an apostle, Acts chapter 1, then there are no more miracles. Just like that, view number one, that the Holy Spirit gives you miraculous power today, that's a lie. That's not true. So very quickly we see that's not true. Moving on to view number two. View number two once again says, the Holy Spirit literally and personally indwells you. There are no miracles, but... The Spirit works directly on your heart and indirectly through the Word. So, what we're going to study is does the Spirit work apart from the Word? We got several questions that I think are very compelling. Number one is this What does the Holy Spirit do separate and apart from the Word of God? Number two, how do we know what He's doing unless the Bible says so? Number three, What does He say or do that the Word of God does not already say or do? Number four, if we all have the same Holy Spirit within us and He operates separate from God's Word, then why are not all Christians spiritually strong? Why are some Christians spiritually weak? Does God have favorites? I thought we all had the same Holy Spirit working in us. When not we all be equally strong? Number five, some claim that the Holy Spirit helps prevent them from sinning, but acknowledge that they still sin at times. So how is it that the Spirit helps you from refrain from sin sometimes, but not all the time? What is He doing when you do sin? Is He taking a vacation? Is He just not watching you? Does He just not care then? These, I think, are some compelling questions that can't be answered. What we see is that the Bible teaches the all-sufficiency of the Word. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, and verse 16, the Bible says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for, for proof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Paul's saying the Bible does everything. Everything you're ever going to need spiritually, the Bible does it. The Word of God does it. So the question is this If this is true, then what does the Holy Spirit do separate from the Word that the Word doesn't already do? If the Bible does everything, there's nothing that the Holy Spirit can do more than that or outside. Everything is everything. Sounds pretty simple, hopefully. Now, people who believe that the Holy Spirit works outside the Bible, they would go to this verse. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 16. That God would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man. So they'd say, aha, you see, the Holy Spirit strengthens us Ain't no one arguing that. No one's arguing that. We all believe that. That's what the Bible says. The question is, how? How does the Holy Spirit strengthen us? It would be an assumption to prove or to state that He strengthens outside the Word. That would be assuming what you're trying to prove. The question still stands, how does the Holy Spirit strengthen us? Here is a quote quote from Brother Glenn Osborne. This quote is very interesting to me because Brother Glenn Osborne does not believe in the word-only position. The word-only position is view number four. He believes in a personal indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is literally inside of you and helps you. The reason why I know that is because he says so in his commentary. Here's what he says concerning the verse we just read in Ephesians 3. The Holy Spirit strengthens our inner man through the revealed Word of God. The Scriptures are a, are a product of the Holy Spirit's work, and therefore their effect in our life can be described as a work of the Spirit. Spiritual strength is the result of being spiritually energized By the Word of God. So here we have a man who doesn't believe that the Holy Spirit works outside of the Christian, but he believes the Spirit is within the Christian. That's what the Bible teaches. The Holy Spirit only strengthens through the Word. He goes on to say earlier in Ephesians 1 and 13, all that the Holy Spirit does for the spiritual side of our personal life on earth However, he does in conjunction conjunction with the Word. Otherwise, to whatever extent he would function, to that very extent the Word of God would be less than sufficient. The Bible affirms for itself that it is all sufficient for man's spiritual needs. He quotes a slew of verses, including 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, which we already read. In other words, what he's saying is this. If the Holy Spirit does something the Word of God does not do, then the, Holy, then the Word of God is not all-sufficient. You can't have one or the other. It's only one or only the other. And the Bible, we saw, teaches the Bible does everything for the Christian. It either does or it doesn't. Either the Bible's true or the Bible lies, which is the case. Now to move on, what we need to see, what we need to observe is that the Word of God and the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, they are closely connected. They are closely connected. Here's a passage from Ephesians and a passage from Colossians. Now the Apostle Paul wrote both of these epistles when he was in prison. These epistles, they have numerous similarities, Sometimes you can compare verses side by side and they say the exact same thing in the exact same words. And because of that, they're called sister epistles because of all their similarities. Sometimes they speak of the same things but describe it in different words. That's what we see here concerning the Holy Spirit. Notice this. The Bible says in Ephesians 5 and 18, Do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. So it says, don't get drunk, be filled with the Spirit, sing. I know that's a brutally uh, abused oversimplification of the verse, but that's what this verse says. If we go to Colossians 3 and 16, the Bible says this, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Notice this. Both of these verses talk about singing. And both of these verses talk about singing in a similar but different way. In Ephesians, he says, Make melody in your heart to the Lord. and Colossians, he says, Sing with grace in your heart to the Lord. Making melody and singing with grace, it's the same thing. It's just a different way of saying the same thing. When we look at Ephesians chapter 5, not only do these verses talk about singing, they both talk about the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 5, he says, be filled with the Spirit. That's a command. If we don't obey commands, that's a sin. So the question is, How do you obey the command to be filled with the Spirit? He explains in Colossians, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So how are you filled with the Spirit? Through the word of God. Through the word of God. The instrument of the Holy Spirit is the word of God, is the Bible. The Holy Spirit works in conjunction with the Bible. Now, Here is just a short list of some of the things the Bible says the Holy Spirit does and a list of what the Bible says the Word does. As we can see, they both witness, instruct, convict, beget, give birth, save, sanctify, cleanse, indwell, strengthen, power, resurrect, lead, or comfort. Sounds like they do the same thing. In fact, that's exactly what that says. We got a question. It is abundantly clear that the Spirit and the Word are said to accomplish the same things for those who are baptized. How do we explain this? There's two options. Number one, the Holy Spirit and the Word both accomplish the same things at two different times and in two different ways. Or, the Holy Spirit uses the Word to accomplish the same thing at the same time and in the same way. Which is more likely? Which is more reasonable? The second. This becomes further proven when we stop to consider that in Ephesians 6 and 17, the sword of the Spirit, take on the whole armor of God, he says, Ephesians 6, The sword of the Spirit, he calls the Word. The instrument of the Holy Spirit, once again, is the Bible. This is how God sanctifies, cleanses, cleanses, I don't know why I can't talk, saves, and does all that stuff we just read. It's through the Word. Through the Word of God. So what we see is this. Throughout the scriptures, we learn that the Holy Spirit does indeed aid the Christian. No one's arguing with that. Holy Spirit helps us today. But it is always accomplished through the Word. There is not a single passage in the New Testament which teaches that the Holy Spirit aids the Christian separate and apart from the Word of God. Well, why don't you look at that? We're at the last two. I was quick, hopefully. And hopefully those other views, as we consider them, very simple now it's time to get to a conclusion we've got views three and four what we need to focus on and realize is that the only difference between these two views is this you got one group they say the word of god is how the holy spirit dwells in you the spirit dwells in you through the word this other group they say The Holy Spirit literally and personally indwells you. Neither one of them believe there are miracles today. And neither one of them believe that the Holy Spirit works outside the Bible. The only difference between these two is a claim. And I need to make this very clear. What kind of attitude or spirit I'm about to present this in. What I'm about to share with you has been disagreed, disagreed upon Amongst our preachers, for the last 40 years, minimum. What I'm about to present to you probably is not going to quench all your savory questions. It's not going to fulfill all your appetite. Do I know everything about the Holy Spirit? No, I don't. Now I say that because I can learn. You can learn. But I also want to make this clear. I'm not just up here trying something. I'm sharing what I believe, what I believe the scriptures teach. With saying that, there are men wiser and much more knowledgeable than I who disagree. People we respect on both sides. With that being said, let's see what the Bible says. Does the Holy Spirit work within us literally and personally? Here's where you'd go. Here are some indwelling passages In Romans chapter 8 and verse 9, the Bible says, But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. Verse 11, But if the Spirit of him who who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Very simple. Both verses say the Spirit dwells in us. Here's another verse. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now, it's very, very likely, after we read these verses, this is maybe what you're thinking. Bible says the Spirit Spirit dwells in us. Bible literally says so. That's what it literally means. Let's just go home. It ain't that simple. We know that the Bible uses figurative language. Jesus says you got to hate your parents, but you also got to honor your father and your mother. Bible says that Jesus has got a sword that comes out of his mouth. That literal? The Bible says that Satan is a dragon. That literal? So we have to go much deeper than the surface to understand this idea or this teaching. So one of the key stories in the Bible that I think will help us with this is if we go back to Acts chapter 8. Remember, we went there with Philip the evangelist and Simon the sorcerer. Here's what the Bible says. Acts 8, verse 14. Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. If you're talking to someone who believes every Christian's got the Holy Spirit literally inside them, this verse says the opposite. The Bible says you got these people, they were baptized, they needed apostles to come over because they did not have the Holy Spirit. That would seem to contradict this view, would it not? This view claims that all Christians received the Holy Spirit upon, upon conversion, but the Bible says the Samaritans didn't. So, how would you explain this? Here's what they would say. Well, there's two indwellings. There's two indwellings. The first one is non miraculous, the second one is miraculous. These Christians had not received the miraculous portion of the Holy Spirit. Is that true? I believe the answer is no. Here are some questions that I think, once again, are compelling. Number one, the Scriptures do not use this kind of language to differentiate the non-miraculous and miraculous measures of the Spirit within this text. The Bible does not saying non-miraculous or miraculous, so why should we? Number two, the Bible says they did not receive the Spirit when they were baptized. This is what the Bible, as my friends say, literally says. So, shouldn't that be literally true? Number three, if they received the Spirit, why is it not acknowledged or stated? It should have been if it truly happened. Number four, here's one of my favorites why lay hands on the Christians to give them the Spirit if the Spirit is already dwelling in them? Number five, if they received the Spirit at their baptism and they receive, a, receive Him a second time, then did the Spirit leave and need to be put back in Him? Number six. So the Christians of the first century did not receive the Holy Spirit when they were baptized? But do you mean to tell me everyone today does? That wouldn't make sense. Now, We need need to acknowledge this because, yes, the Bible does literally say the Spirit of God dwells in you. The Bible literally says that. When we look to some of the best lexicographers or concordances, people who study the ancient languages, the language of the first century Christians and of the ancient manuscripts, they have learned this. Abbott Smith and their lexicon, Thayer's lexicon, Bauer, R. and Gingrich, their lexicon, that lexicon, you probably don't know, maybe you don't care, that lexicon is like the rule's voice of lexicons. It's supposed to be a big deal. Now also, Lo and Nida's lexicon, all of them teach that within Romans 8, 9 and 11, oikeo the word for dwell, is used Figuratively and does not express a literal indwelling of the Spirit. So the most accurate and ancient manuscripts, the literal word means figurative, not literal. Here's why this is important. In Romans 7 and 17 and Romans 7 and 20, we're going to see something that is similar said about the Holy Spirit, but it's going to say it about sin. In Romans seven seventeen. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Verse 20. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So in chapter 8, you see the Holy Spirit's inside the Christian. In chapter 7, you see sin is inside the unbeliever. It's an identical construction in the Greek language. That's a fancy way to say this. Whatever this is saying about sin, it's saying the same thing about the Holy Spirit. Whatever this is saying about sin, it's saying about the Holy Spirit. Now, if the Spirit literally and personally indwells the believer, then it must also be true that sin literally and personally indwells the unbeliever. The Greek word oikao is used in Romans 7 and Romans 8. Why is that important? Because Liddell and Scott's Greek-English lexicon says that dwell means to manage or direct, to be managed or governed. So what we see is this word, it means control. To indwell means to control. It doesn't mean just to be inside. If sin literally dwells within the unbeliever, It controls or governs their life. If we believe that, we're Calvinists. Because the Calvinists believe that sin controls the unbeliever. But if we believe that the Spirit literally dwells within the believer, then the Spirit controls or governs our life, that would make us charismatics. Why don't we just worship with the Pentecostals then? So you see, if we take the view, the Holy Spirit literally is in us. We've got to conclude that it controls us, and we would lose our free will. You'd lose our, we'd lose our free will. That's why this is important. That's why there's such disagreement with, between our preacher friends, our brethren. You can't have one without the other. And that's why this topic has been so divisive. Now, maybe and probably you're still not persuaded. I don't know. Here are some other things the Bible says literally. The Bible also says God the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit dwell within us. Does that mean you literally have four spirits within your body at this very moment? You got your spirit and you got the spirits of the Godhead. Really? Who would preach that? you got four spirits within you right now. The Bible also says we dwell in God. 1 John 4 and 13, Hereby know that we dwell in Him and He in us, because He hath given us of His Spirit. Do you literally dwell in God? I thought none of us had seen God, the Bible says. But you dwell in Him, literally? The Bible also literally says God walks in us. 2 Corinthians 6 and 16, the King James Version says, And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. Does God literally walk in you? Does he walk behind your kidneys or behind your liver? What are we. This is crazy talk. This is figurative. The Bible says that God couldn't be contained in a temple. But you mean to tell me he's literally in your body? Moving on. The Bible also says Satan entered into Judas. And John 13, 27, Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Did Satan literally enter Judas? No. If Satan literally entered Judas, Judas didn't betray Jesus. It was Satan, not Judas. That would have taken away Judas's free will. Now, With all this being said, as we conclude, I want to read a couple of quotes. These quotes are written by men. These quotes are written by men who are not inspired. These quotes are written by men who are great figures of the Restoration Movement in the 1800s. The reason why that matters is because each of the men we're about to read from They were men trying to go back to the Bible in a time where everybody was living outside the Bible and claiming they were in the Bible. They were trying to break away from Lutheranism, from Presbyterianism, from Mormonism, from Catholicism, any kind of ism you can think of. They were just trying to go back to the Bible. These men were renowned scholars, and to them in this country, we have to credit them for how the churches of Christ started how this movement began in the 1800s the churches of christ had been here since the first century but for the first time in this nation's history in the 17th and 1800s there were people trying to go back to the bible and here's what these men believe here's alexander campbell the guy that everyone claims is our daddy he says this As all the influence which my spirit has exerted on other spirits at home or abroad has been by the stipulated signs of ideas of spiritual operation. This guy is real smart, if you can't tell. By my written or spoken word, so believe I that all, all the influence of God's good spirit now felt in the way of conviction or consolation in the four quarters of the globe is by the word. God works through the word. Written, read and heard, which is called the Living Oracles. He said, "We learn through the Bible. Holy Spirit works through the Bible. Another guy. Just for time's sake, we're just going to read the gold. The word is the medium through which the Spirit accomplishes his work. Every step is affected by the word of God. There is no such thing as the Spirit of God operating away or distinct from the written Word of God. This was N.B. Hardeman when he debated a Baptist. His name was Ben Bogard. And lastly, David Lipscomb, to whom has a university named after him in Tennessee, one great scholar, he said this, The only spiritual instruction, guidance, or influence possible to man is to be gained through coming to the Word of God. They all say, through the Word of God, through the Word of God, only through the Word of God. I don't mean to discredit everything, anything we just read, but I'll say this, who cares what they said? We care what the Bible says. And here's the last question we're going to ask. How does the Holy Spirit work within us? 1 Thessalonians 2.13 For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because... When you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. The Bible answers the question, how does the Holy Spirit work through the word of God? In conclusion, we saw in our last study that's online on the podcast, if you don't remember The Holy Spirit works in the conviction and conversion of sinners only through this book. Only through this book. The Holy Spirit in the life of a Christian only works in this book. If this book doesn't say it, we don't care about it. And we won't do it. The Holy Spirit strengthens us through the word of God. And with that being said, I'll extend the invitation which, with reading what the Holy Spirit says. In Revelation 22 and 17, And the Holy Spirit and the Bride, or Church, say, Come. And let him who hears say, Come. And let him who thirsts, come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. And this evening we say, Come. If you are not yet a Christian, we would love to make you one. And if you are already a Christian and you have fallen in sin, we would love to help. Please come as we stand and sing the song of invitation. For here I am again, a straying lamb again.